from the Geek, led out by their veteran centre-half, Heraclitus. And here come the Germans now, led by their skipper, Nobby Hegel. The Greeks are going mad! The Greeks are going mad! It's time for another episode of Philosophy for Theologians. My name is Camden Busey. We have a great program lined up for you. We're going to have an excellent discussion and very lively discussion, I'm sure, about the relationship between philosophy and theology. It's been a while since we've actually been broadcasting this program, so we're very pleased to be back, and we have a good one lined up for you. Let me introduce our panel today. We have Jared Oliphant, who is Director of Admissions at Westminster Theological Seminary in Glenside, Pennsylvania. Hi, Jared. How are you doing? Hey, Camden. Doing well. Glad to be back with the crew. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad to have you back. And we also have uh, our friend Daniel Schrock, who is an MDiv student here at Westminster. Welcome back to the program, Daniel. It's been uh, a while. It has been. Last time Daniel was on, we spoke about David Hume and miracles and the... uh, the particular view that he has and all the problems that it has. David and Hume, not David me, Hume. that is. <laughs> yes, yeah, not, not, uh, not uh, Daniel, of course not. And uh, we had a great discussion there. And we also have, uh, I believe this is your first time on the program, is it not? We have Benj yeah. Jaffone, who is a THM student at Stellenbosch in South Africa. He's also an adjunct instructor of biblical studies at Philadelphia Biblical University. Welcome to the program, Benj. Thanks, Camden. We've had plenty of discussions in other venues. We just haven't had you in front of a microphone before. So it's it's great to to have you. And we also have the one and the only Robert LaRocca. We know him as Bob. He is a MAR student here at Westminster Theological Seminary. He's also working on a THM. He's doing the overlap thing like I did. So welcome back, Bob. It's great to have you. Hello. Bob is... (laughs) Good signature response. (laughs) Yes, that is the signature uh, sound of one Robert LaRocca. So uh, Bob is uh, going to be leading up our discussion today. We're going to be talking about the relationship of philosophy and theology. Bob has been doing some excellent work. He's been taking some external courses down at the Catholic University of America. I have as well. Uh, The THM requires you to do uh, some external work. And uh, Bob is down there in Washington, D.C., taking some classes with the philosophy department. uh, Looking at the philosophy of Thomas Aquinas. I'm over in a different department, so we don't cross paths. However, intentionally, intentionally, yes, that's right. Well, because down there, philosophy and theology never mix. It's and that's going to work into our discussion today. That's right. It's actually not. He's not kidding when he says that. (laughs) I was joking around that if going down there and saying I studied theology before I studied philosophy to them, they should be like, oh, well, you might as well have studied birds because ornithology has as much to do with philosophy as theology does. Yeah, and more so the the theologians down there, particularly John P. Galvin, my my professor in my class, is of a transcendental variety, uh, which doesn't at all get along with the uh, particular philosophical views of the uh, philosophy department. No, yeah, they 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 will uh, you know indirectly comment on that fact in in class how. Well, you know, that the transcendentals to- say this, and Thomas says that. Thomas, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's different. It's just different, and uh, I think that's all politically they can say. Yeah. Well, uh, let's get started here. We've already begun in anticipation. We've, we've been speaking proleptically about our subject today, so let's mm. actually get right into the meat of it. Uh, when we come to the discussion of philosophy and its relation to theology, we need to begin by defining our terms, and that's actually a very difficult thing. Uh, Some listeners who may be tuning in uh, and have not thought much about the issue may think it's uh, much more clean-cut than it actually is, but even in Ph.D. seminar courses, uh, 
every day you seem to be asking the question, what is philosophy? Where are its boundaries? How is it supposed to be related to theology? What's its relation to general revelation, special revelation, all that? Let me throw things over to Bob to get started. Uh, what is philosophy? What are some questions you have as there are some questions that arise as we even approach this topic? Yeah, that was the that is my question uh, for my THM studies is trying to figure out. Well, uh, as, a, as studying studying here at Westminster and being and following the apologetics and theology of Van Til, uh, Van Til will speak frequently about how our Christian theistic presuppositions lay the foundations for a Christian philosophy. And uh, that's something I always learned, and for a very long time I'd always say, well, you know, we can have a philosophy, we can do philosophy, unlike every other philosophical tradition that has failed throughout the history of Western thought. As Christians, we can actually have the foundation, the necessary foundations and uh, presuppositions to govern and direct and lay the foundations for a Christian philosophy. But when I started thinking about, well, what do I believe in philosophically? What, what, what can I say that's actually... Uh, philosophical, I realized that I wasn't, I didn't really have actually that much to say. I was, I could, I could say, I could say a lot about how philosophy and theology should relate to each other. Mm. But most of the philosophy I was doing, at least for um, my first two years at Westminster was um, deconstruction as an apologist of philosophical positions. I Not was in the philosophical sense of philosophical deconstruction. Is well, important. somewhat similar. But, Somewhat similar, showing how on their on their own terms, every single philosophical system fails. Mm-hmm. They don't they they contradict themselves. They can't account for their axiomatic claims. Mm-hmm. And I could procedurally then, not of course, not in their yeah, system. It's not like you were playing Derrida to, right, exactly. Well, no, yeah, but and the difference is is that uh, as a Vantillian, I would then posit something. I would I would say something positive about what needs to be the foundation, unlike. Mm-hmm. A, a deconstructionist who never goes to that positive route, yeah. I would say that what needs to be the foundation is the triune God of, who who reveals himself in Scripture most climatically in the personal work of Jesus Christ. Yeah. No deconstructionist usually goes that route. <laughs> but yeah. nonetheless, the deconstructionist part is, is, is somewhat <laughs> it's somewhat similar. Uh, I think even Dr. Edgar mentions that in his preface to um, the Christian Apologetics volume by Van Til that he re-edited. On, there, is a, there is a formal similarity to an aspect of Van Til and postmodernism is that the rejection of modernity and the rejection of, uh, of autonomous philosophy, mm-hmm. saying that you cannot self-supply a foundational principle. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I found myself being able to uh, find the problems, and this is, I mean, it's really incredible. It's, it's, it's such a, a, an incredible thing that I, I, was, I learned here. Find the problems in Western philosophy and I could say that, well, I can believe and I can know things. Uh, I, can have an epistemolo- I can have an epistemology and know things about the world on the basis of my Christian theistic uh, worldview. Mm-hmm. But I, didn't, I, I couldn't, when it came to the problems in philosophy uh, or questions in philosophy, I didn't have as many answers as I thought I had. And so one of the first questions I had is, well, what is philosophy and what is it meant to do? And that's, I guess, why we're here today. Yeah, exactly. Oh, what are some of the issues that you've run into, Jared or, or uh, Daniel, as you've approached this? Have you had similar questions and thoughts about this issue? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's been really interesting dialoguing with Bob on this, uh, partially because it's such a broad issue that covers 
two huge fields, theology and philosophy. And then, you know, you, you also get into just the natural sciences. What can you know, um, you know, based on your own worldview and your own theological system and your own philosophy on that? So it's kind of, it's one of the biggest questions that you can ask. Um, so um, I know that's kind of a, a vague answer, but, you know, how does scripture come into play? You know, being at a reformed institution and, and being reformed, um, you know, we clearly don't want to proof text everything that we say, but how do scriptural principles apply? Um, does scripture comment on, you know, literally everything in the sciences? Um, so all those questions come to mind mm-hmm. when we're talking about what the role is of philosophy those, and theology. Those were some of my initial questions was, you know, I, we always learned that uh, the biblical worldview lays the principles for philosophy. Yeah. Yeah. But does every single doctrine or how do some doctrines supply the principles for philosophy and maybe not other ones? I mean, for yeah. instance, in our theology, we'd say certain doctrines are principial. Uh-huh. Like we'd say the doctrine of God is our principium ascendi, and our doctrine of scripture is our principium cognoscendi. But that means Christ. Is Christ a principle in theology? Well, no. Even in, even in theology, we have certain doctrines that we call principles, and certain ones that are not principles. Is that mm-hmm. how it is for philo- how the way in which theology principles philosophy? And and I think I mean another thing that comes to mind, and this is a little uh, polemic, but you know when when we talk about quote unquote philosophy, it, like you said earlier, what do we mean? There there's philosophies yeah. plural. I don't know if there's just one univocal monolithic philosophy out there, just like every other discipline. Well, so that's, that, that comes well, when I play. say philosophy, I mean like there's many different histories, but there is a discipline of history. We know if you say I'm a historian, well, there's a, you can have an idea at least of what the historian gets at or mm-hmm. what he's doing. Now I'm not, I'm sure this historiography is a contentious field and you know, there's, there's big debate. There's big, big, complicated debates on historical methodology but at least we can say that a historian does something different than a chemist yeah Mm -hmm. or something like that so when i say philosophy i mean a discipline that has a certain subject and has a certain methodology so speaking of of that then what would be some of the things that you would find under the discipline of philosophy well that's that's where uh, i guess that's where i come in with my own particular answers is well uh, let me talk about the, the what's, what many philosophers have called first philosophy, and that is metaphysics. And that's something I'm more interested in anyway. Is uh, For almost all of the history of, of Western thought, metaphysics was described as the study of ultimate reality. What is ultimate? What, is, what, what pertains to everything? So, for instance, Thales started, kicked it off and said that everything is water. And I, I love Van Til's uh, comment. He says, well, what's, besides, the, uh, besides the fact that this goes against our intuition, what, is Christian, what as Christians would we object to Thales saying that everything is water? It immediately uh, breaks down the creator-creature distinction mm-hmm. because that means God's part of everything. And uh, now, you're, now you're talking about how one concept or one thing uh, looks to everything. That everything is water. That means including God and including creature, uh, mm-hmm. creatures, and that's why he, that's where he would bring in his creator-creature distinction. So anyway, getting back to the to to metaphysics, is that for the longest time, metaphysics was called the study of ultimate reality. One way which I think as Christians is that we have to seriously correct that is that metaphysics is not the study of ultimate reality. Theology is the study of ultimate reality because the ultimate reality is 
God. And most properly to its discipline, theology studies God. And then if I were to say, what is philosophy or what is metaphysics? Metaphysics studies to everything that pertains, or most generally, most universally, under the sun, as Kohelet would say, or just for creatures. It's purely, and this is also Stoker did this as well, it is purely horizontal. And to be clear, that's that's going to be a departure from the way metaphysics has been defined in philosophy because oh, yeah. metaphysics has included the study of God throughout its entire yep. history. And a lot of a lot of my inspiration for doing that is uh, is Van Til, Stoker, but ironically also Aquinas. Is that Aquinas set himself apart from all of his medieval contemporaries, where he said that philosophy studies being qua being or beings in as much as they are being. So everything that is his being. Metaphysics studies, and he says this in uh in in his commentary on Boethius's on the Trinity question uh question five article four, but as Camden knows, you know, I was presenting this in class. He will then say, but metaphysics does not study God as its subject. That's most of his medieval contemporaries this way. Well, me, uh, metaphysics studies being qua being, God's a being, therefore metaphysics studies being. Quinn says no. It studies being qua being, but it does not study God because God does not fall under being qua being. Shocking. That's shocking for anyone in his day. Actually, I think he stands alone, perhaps in the history of Western thought, as far as I know, by saying that. And so that was also uh, somewhat inspirational that, wow, that's actually a far more appropriate way of getting at um, at metaphysics. Now, un- unfortunately, he, that means he leaves God totally out of the picture. Uh, in in his metaphysics, but mm-hmm. nonetheless, well, he doesn't. He'll just do it not not as a starting point. I guess that's the best way I say. So that would be if you're asking me what is philosophy. Philosophy studies what is most general or most universal amongst c- creation. And so, if you're asking me what is philosophy studies, it studies creation as being or as existing. For as we'd say that all that is created exists. So maybe it studies existence, which we can maybe ascribe to creation. And that'd be one way of getting at it, I guess. To back up and give it another context, um, Bob, you've also raised the point that you're looking at uh, philosophy and theology, and there's there's one issue which is defining everything. There's another project that you're kind of working on that definitely relates to it, which is um, which philosophy that already exists and is out there is the closest to what we would see as a or the Christian philosophy, and, so, and correct me if I'm wrong, correct whatever you, you need to, but um, what's going to come closest to what we would maybe um, espouse as a good Christian worldview yep. or philosophy um, among the candidates that are out there? Well, one way to get at that is, for instance, fundamental issues. As a Vantillian, if you're to assess a philosophy, what's the most fundamental issue you would get at first to assess whether this is a, let's just take metaphysics, and for those listening, if metaphysics is usually the study of of things, you know, or, or beings. Epistemology is a study of knowledge and how we know things. And ethics classically is said to be the study of good and, or, you know, or, the, or the, human, uh, the human good. So with metaphysics, if you're to look at, at all the metaphysics that have happened throughout the history of Western thought as a Vantillian, what's number one on your list to check? Well, what would a Christian metaphysic require? And how am I going to assess all these various metaphysics? Which one? As a, as a Vantillian, which would you pick? As the axiomatic, the most important doctrine any metaphysic must have. There's a few I can think of. Okay, think of, <laughs> think of one. Creator-creature distinction. That's number yeah. one on my list. Creator-creature is that 
a, a, given that we are indeed examining it and we are creation, then yeah, yeah the that creature uh, just within within that within right. that view, and that's Van Til's number one pick. That's Doctor Oliphant's. He'll say the you know the MEA con distinction mm-hmm. that he that he presents in part three of his book uh, Reasons for Faith. And so when you're assessing these things, some let's let's just say if if one metaphysical system given by a philosopher. Mm-hmm has a creator-creature distinction, and one doesn't, well, what if that creator-creature distinction, let's say it's even a proper one, what if that works itself out somehow within the philosophy? That's something a Vantillian should be really uh, interested in sure. to see. Well, mm-hmm. if it works itself out in, in any way, that's, it's that much that, that that philosophy would be all the more Christian, just on that one principle. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's other ones, like Jared was saying, you can think of a couple, but that's a very, very important one. Yeah, and, and a related one would be the epistemological. I mean, once oh, you yeah. get to that, then, you know, if Scripture isn't your principium, isn't your foundation for things, then you can talk all day about, you know, the creator-creature distinction, but if you're not getting it from Scripture, yep. forget it, you're going to go down a wrong road. You're cutting the saw along a wrong line, yep. you know, to quote Van Til. That's, that's true. Uh, if, uh, for instance, in, epist- in epistemology, even if, even if they're all errors, even if every single starting point for epistemology is in error, some are better than others. Like, for instance, um, we, as, we as, as, as Reformed Christians would say that our starting point from knowledge is from without of us. It's God. It's not us. It's God. And so a better epistemology, not a best one, but perhaps a better one, will have its epistemic foundation not being the individual or the subject, but it will be the object who gives knowledge. That's mm. some, a lot closer than, um, that's a lot closer to a Christian position than one that starts with the subject. Because inher- as Christians, I would say the starting point for knowledge is an object. That's a horrible way to talk about God, but God is an object insofar as he's not me, the subject. And so that's one way I think that a lot of modern philosophy is not, a lot of modern epistemologies look to the subject. They're mm-hmm. oftentimes subjective, and I think a much better one, or you're going to find a lot more uh, helpful hints from a pre-modern philosophy that looks to objects, for instance. So that's just one way I'm trying to assess the history of Western thought. Let's speak a little bit about the um, guiding principles for this examination. That's very helpful, but um, sometimes people try to think about philosophy versus theology along very basic divisional lines, such as, Philosophy is the study of general revelation. Theology is the study of special revelation. Are things that simple? No. <laughs> no. It's not that simple at all. Um, Elaborate, please. <laughs> Next question. <laughs> um, this well, is partially because um, philosophy must use the doctrines derived exactly. from exactly. special revelation to even get at general revelation. Mm-hmm. I mean, Calvin's, um, Calvin's metaphor of the spec- spectacles... You know, that we require the spectacles of Scripture to yeah. examine general revelation obtains in philosophy. Now, as philosophy, because we are investigating the created realm, and we know that all creation is revelatory, or it reveals God, of course there's going to be a special relationship the philosopher will have with general revelation. Mm-hmm. And there's, an, there's, you know, there's an interesting aside we can get into with that, but perhaps right now it wouldn't be worth getting into. But nonetheless, it's not, it's not helpful to make that distinction to say that, oh, well, we're dealing with general revelation and the theologians dealing with special. Mm. Um, because, actually, I think 
and 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 maybe a helpful way is that um, how the how the uh, theologian the theologian uses general revelation uh, all the time. I mean, that's mm-hmm. something we learn is that it actually assumes content from general revelation when you do when you when one goes into uh, into a theological investigation. Yeah, that was that, that's one of the most insightful things I think about. Uh, from Van Til's essay that he contributed to the Infallible Word Symposium. Yeah, that's exactly right. The, the relationship that he portrayed there between general and special revelation and defending the sufficiency, necessity, authority, and perspicuity right. of general revelation. Uh, and I th- that complicates uh, the question of, of being able to, to separate uh, the priority of, of one over the other epistemologically um, a bunch. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. But something, something before we get into the, like the starting point and the discovery of the subject of Christian right. philosophy, one thing that I think is also a very interesting topic is what, what, why have a Christian philosophy? Why do you, why are we even talking about it? Why we, why we, why do we need to ask such questions? Um, or does what a Christian philosophy tries to the questions that Christian philosophy tries to answer are those questions already answered by theology? Mm-hmm. And um, that's something interesting. Interestingly, when I read, when I was reading Van Til's, that Van Til is when you ask that question, well, is there a Christian philosophy? What is it supposed to be doing? What's its What's its role? What's its purpose? Van Til can be very unclear. Mm-hmm. I find on that issue because sometimes it seems as though he would say, well, actually, he does say um, we do we do not have a, a philosophy like other philosophies that our philosophy is merely speaking Christian truth into a philosophical context. Yeah. Where in that case, it seems as though there would be no special content to philosophy right. and, a, and a, and a science without content is no science at all. Um, because for instance, I, if I were to look at Camden, there's many different ways I can get at who, who or what Camden is. Mm hmm. Um, I can get him as a chemist, a sociologist, an anthropologist, um, a biologist, and things like that. But right. if biology has nothing new to say that chemistry, or if biology is saying everything that chemistry has just said, then you don't have two distinct disciplines. Then I don't have. Yeah. Then biology actually doesn't exist. Yeah. And can, let's. Can you clarify? Because this is a, a great example on. Um, you know, you're kind of already thinking along, um, again, correct me if I'm wrong, but kind of Thomistic categories when you're talking about the sciences. And I don't think all our listeners know that going into your discussion of how different yeah. even, say, let's call them disciplines, relate to each other. Um, and so I think that also needs to be yeah, clarified. Yeah, Thomas, uh, before I let Bob respond, you know, Thomas has... Uh, he begins with this particular starting point that Van Til speaks about often, and it's the uh, the nature grace dualism. Right, and um, that all I all I will say about that at this point is that um, mankind's natural faculties, his ability to reason, uh, can operate unaided upon nope. natural nope. revelation. Well, correct me there. No, no, wait, no. I was agreeing with you. I thought you made a negative mm. statement. I'm no, I'm saying I'm saying according to Thomas, the way the nature grace dualism works. Oh yeah, no. Mankind, be- in his natural state, has the ability to yes. use yes, his does. rational faculties to um, interpret, understand. He can actually come to a knowledge of God, albeit not a Trinitarian knowledge, but the Deo Uno. He can come to a knowledge of God as one, simply by using his reason upon right. nature. 
Um, now, clearly, that's going to uh, lend itself towards certain views of natural theology that the Reformed are going to disagree with. Yep. And it, in history, has lent itself to very sharp disagreements in the very, very broad Reformed worlds with people such as Karl Barth, who, who against uh, Emil Brunner, um, responded with a resounding nine, nine. which is, means no in German. Now, of course, we don't agree um, with Bart on a lot of things, <laughs> but um, it, it just goes to show that the starting point can have some conclusions that are going to be yeah. very different from where we want to go as Reformed well, people. And I want to allow you now to address this issue to um, allay or alleviate any concerns or, or any thoughts that some yeah, listeners might have at the it's, point. It, to put it very simply, is that it's, a, it's an issue between a top-down method and a bottom-up method. Is that let me introduce Thomas Aquinas had a bottom up method that as knowers whose minds are not totally affected by the fall, perhaps actually, I, as far as I know, not really even affected very much at all, mm-hmm. can know created being and they can know um, this world and begin to construct sciences that's actually true natural knowledge. And that natural knowledge can lead you up to what is grace or you can lead you up to a knowledge of God. The supernatural. Mm-hmm. And can lead you up to a knowledge of the supernatural. But you always need the church to supply and revelation to supply things that natural reason cannot get to. Mm. And and some this is, this fall, is what, some supernatural yeah, assistance. Yeah, this is, this is everything. And so that, that would be one of his – when he would talk about the natural sciences – for instance, uh, you know, uh, metaphysics, mm-hmm. uh, mathematics, and physics, these are all what any natural man could have. And, uh, and then on top of that, what you get from grace or what you get from the church, revelation, what have you, is the supernatural knowledge. Mm. Now, I am not advocating at all, in, with one inch of my soul, a bottom-up method. What I am advocating for is a top to bottom or a up, you know, up from, 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 from theology down to various forms of mundane or natural knowledge. And even when I say natural, it's not really, na- it's, it's, oh, it's, it's somewhat mixed because they are always presupposing and allowing uh, for what God has given us in revelation to govern yeah. these things. Yeah. And that's not what you'd find in a scholastic context at all. And when I say science, if you read the first volume of Muller, such language is, is, is riddled across that text where they're yeah, they debating use, between mm-hmm. whether theology is sapientia or scientia, mm-hmm. whether it's wisdom mm-hmm. or knowledge. Mm-hmm. And that's a good way for what, how I'm getting at science is that science is a body of knowledge. And so, well, there's a body of historical knowledge. There's a mm-hmm. body of knowledge with chemistry or anthropology. So when I say the sciences, if philosophy does not have a body of knowledge that it that is its own and not theology, that's why I would call it not a science. Uh, a science. But on your question, do I believe that there is any knowledge in principle or as a coherent system without presupposing the triune God of Scripture? Mm-hmm. Emphatically, I would say no. Mm-hmm. But the point is that even as Vantillians, we do believe there is such thing as knowledge that's not theological knowledge. Like, for instance... Uh, Even though pin- you could put a theological slant on anything. 
Yeah, but it depends on how you define that, too. I well, mean, what I mean by that, let me define how I mean, is that it's go. not derived by a theological methodology. Meaning, our theological methodologies, when you learn about these things in, 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 in any, kind of, any, any prolegomena section of a systematic theology, is the investigation of Scripture, because we are Protestants, we go by Scripture alone, for the derivation of theological truths. That's how we come to theological knowledge. We will, we will allow other disciplines to be ancillary and helpful, but really, in principle, we are deriving our theology from Scripture alone. Mm. Amen? Mm-hmm. Amen. Yeah. Yes, of course. But we also have knowledge that— I thought you were Catholic, though, Bob. Going to Catholic <laughs> University. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, but we—but, for instance, I will affirm as a truth— Yeah. The law, the logical law of identity, or let's make an easier one: that George Washington uh, crossed uh, the Delaware. That's that's history. I'd say you know that's good history uh, based upon historical methodology. Now, that truth, the very fact that I just I, I would describe that's truth on the basis of a historical methodology. That historical methodology must ultimately presuppose biblical truths in order for the function. Hmm. So. My point is, is that it doesn't go straight to theological truths. Mm-hmm. It goes through philosophical ones. Now, Benj, let me uh, get you in on this discussion. <laughs> on this point, okay. it's related, and uh, since you're teaching, you're studying and teaching biblical studies and whatnot, <clears throat> speaking of uh, doctrine of Scripture and philosophy, how does the discipline of philosophy, or at least philosoph- philosophical investigation, how can that and how has that? impacted biblical studies for good or for or for evil hmm. well to start i mean i've been kind of it goes to some of the research some things that i've been trying to process through recently mm-hmm. um and as a very young teacher i'm of course now evaluating these things not as a not just as a student but as a student who's now having to guide other students along um in their uh, examination of scripture, but mm-hmm. um, I've been trying to. Um, it, it's it's I'm still very much in process on on a lot of things. I mean, there's some tools that we have from 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 philosophy that can be very helpful. Um, for example, in in literary studies, yeah, um, a lot of yeah. tools. Um, that we can uh, can bring to the text, um, looking at uh, discourse analysis and um, different perspectives of of the text. But then, and even the text has been the subject of much philosophical discussion over the last thirty years or so. The text in general, mm-hmm. yeah, the, yeah. What is that actually? Well, ben, here's a good example that I'm sure you d- you deal with a lot: maximalism versus minimalism in right. one's in one's views of of his of history. Can history if you're a maximalist, get at what had actually taken place as a phenomenon in the past, or is, or if you're a minimalist, history really gets at our interpretation and perspective and our use of narrative, of you know semblance of what we what we might think of mm-hmm. the past. Right. I mean, in, in historical critical studies in the last you know, 30, 40 years, there's been this distinction between or this sort of uh, division between a minimalist camp, as you say, and a maximalist camp. And the minimalists, um, 
you know, there's been even in the in the wake of the um, historical critical uh, des- uh, sort of a modernist desire to get at um, history or get at um, even the idea of biblical history, mm-hmm. um, history that is influenced by the text, or that history that we, we try to get through the history behind the text, then the reaction against that was, well, then you can't say, you know, to, to even say biblical archaeology or biblical history is presuming something that right. is bring, is, we're bringing it to the discipline of history, so we shouldn't do that. But then after that criticism, that very probably a very valid criticism of historical studies, the way historical studies had been conducted, was brought into... Um, you know, from 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 a minimalist uh, or even a postmodernist kind of uh, framework. Now, the discipline is sort of kind of okay. Now, where do we go from here? Do we um, we we can we can't just say well nothing happened because there's obviously texts that have texts and a people that come out of the ancient Near East that have been very influential. So, kind of assuming nothing happened is reductio ad absurdum. But then to say, then what can we actually say about about the past? That's that's a very where it seems to be just a, right now. What seems to be the hottest thing now is tracing um, tracing the ideologies uh, in um, or si- situating the Old Testament in the Persian period in particular, and trying to uh, understand. Um, but but trying to understand the the ideologies that shaped uh, scripture during the Persian period, but that it to get back to your original question about mm-hmm. philosophy, I mean those sorts of questions about um, how do we even know um, well, it's, it's, you know where where do we even direct what questions do we direct at the text that's going to then determine how we you know where do we where do we draw the line between the, the question, can we know the past, is very parallel with the question, can we know the thing within itself? Right. And that is the modern... That is and just even more the, basic. I mean, that that gets along the issue of uh, Principia and, and uh, authorities. I mean, how do we go about reading scripture, studying? I mean, all these sorts of things, these very basic questions. That's why you can have a philosophy of X, Y, or Z. You can approach uh, different... Um, disciplines, and you can have a philosophy of that discipline, like a philosophy of history. Kind of. That's one of the yeah, things. That's, that's contentious, Camden. I wouldn't say so. I wouldn't say you have a philosophy of, of this or a philosophy of that. That's oftentimes, uh, that's, that's, I think, that view, which you get a lot of liberal arts college, is the result of Kantian perspectivalism. That each... <laughs> That, just called me a Kantian. I know. <laughs> no, no, no. Necessarily, I'm, or there's a trend or a tendency. I mean, because it's no. Let's, maybe. let's, let's tease well, this out. It's, I, an, it's yeah, an interesting I, discussion. Well, so because I never, believe in the unity of science. I believe that science, all sciences, or at least all. When, let me, when I say, let me let me lay out what I mean by when I say science here before. No. <laughs> is uh, it just becomes I've, a series of defining terms. I believe in three different levels of knowledge, like I, the three heavens. Yeah. <laughs> I believe Sorry. that there is theological knowledge that's derived by a theological methodology, which principles, governs, and founds philosophical knowledge. Uh, and I, then I believe that philosophical knowledge, principles, and founds the knowledge of the lower sciences, that is, everyday experience um, and more formal sciences like anthropology, history. I've been picking on the same disciplines all, all, all afternoon here. Can I, but, can I ask a qu- clarifying question? Yeah. When you say... Uh, 
knowledge of theology? Do you mean theology proper? Do you mean everything that we've included under that? No, everything, all the truths derive from special revelation. Because I I, I see um, a potential problem in isolating that from knowledge of everyday things because our knowledge of theology, even if you rest it in the authority of Scripture, is still acquired by the functioning of our our material faculties. Yep. Uh, and that makes it hard to neatly situate uh, theology away from uh, lower orders of, of knowledge. Well, how do we, just to, just to piggyback on that, how do we access special revelation except through the understanding of, for example, the original languages, which is, I mean, language is a, is a branch of history, trying to understand what Scripture means. This, one, this is one way to distinguish them. Um, what's the difference between the, the authority a law of logic has and the authority that a statement made by an apostle in Scripture? Do you see how they're different authorities? Mm-hmm. One is higher than the other. For instance, I would say our theological knowledge sometimes will... Super uh, will will supersede. Will go above laws of logic. Now, are laws of logic authoritative within the disciplines? Yes, we can't just. I can't say. I can't. If I if I contradict a law of logic within history or anthropology or um, or chemistry, I'm wrong. I'm wrong. I'm wrong. I'm just. I'm wrong. But, but if by our theological doctrines, if we come to a, for instance, the doctrine of the Trinity or a doctrine of incarnation. That is higher than the law of logic, and is not the law of logic is not authoritative over it. So that's one not, way to get at the Not that I disagree with what I'm about to say, but there are, I'm thinking of W.V. Quine in particular, uh, f- contemporary philosophers who've uh, affirmed that we can even begin to rethink and reformulate things like the law of non-contradiction, uh, depending on... Uh, tensions that exist within our, our what Quine would say are our web of belief. Well, that's, and that's what happens oftentimes. I, the, Quine would be a good example of what I always call the peasant's revolt in the kingdom of knowledge, <laughs> where lower sciences start determining higher ones. And this is wrong across the board. I don't think <laughs> physics or chemistry should ever determine what we say philosophically. I don't believe that physics, chemistry, or philosophy should ever determine what we say theologically. But it There's, certainly contributes, doesn't it? And, it and I think part yes. of part of the reason that I have such a struggle with talking about this is because I see, um, just to call a spade a spade, I'm reviewing a book by William Lane Craig uh, right now, and the 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 level of faith in philosophy and logic that he has, I see kind of either being assumed or maybe I don't know, not being. Um, stated clearly enough with you in that like what do you mean there, faith um like i put too much stock into it yeah that you trust philosophy that even even with laws of logic we have partial information constantly and so the difference with laws laws of logic and something that an apostle said is in scripture is really what god said number one yeah, we course. put our faith in that laws of logic aren't just kind of different and it's a total totally well, I, different a, thing I'm altogether it's a different different it's a different level of knowledge it's complete yeah but I'm, I'm uncomfortable just calling it a different level i mean it's, it's a totally different thing partially different but there you would say they're both for instance jared you're sitting over there mm-hmm. that I, that's a true statement and i'll also say that uh in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth 
is a true statement. Now, am I saying is true being used here univocally? No. Truth, the truth that I ascribe to a statement made in Scripture is far higher and tr- more transcendent than the truth that you're sitting across the room from me. Okay. And it's like that between philosophy and theology. So, for instance, A equals A is a truth of logic. Now, does that equal the truth of the Trinity? No. But I would say that the truth of that logical truth is also over the truth of George Washington crossed the Delaware. But it's way, way under. As it's under the sun, it's, just, it ha- it's a philosophical truth, so it has to do with creation only. It's under the theological truth. I just so don't know if so we can have a linear like, hierarchy like, with, with these kinds of things. It, this, is, this is 20 more authoritatives, and the no, other no, thing no, is 23 not, more this authoritatives. Is not, this is not it's, just, it's not proportioned at all. It's between it's not like um, it's not like the lower science is to philosophy as philosophy is to theology. The, the, the break in these sciences happens along the creator creature distinction. Theology mo- as its subject, and this is you know classic reformed orthodoxy, has God as its subject. Every other science, every other form of knowledge has creation as its subject, but must assume and presuppose God to get at creation. But that's the creator-creature distinction. So philosophy and every other science are in the same camp. Yeah, but what what complicates the question is that theology has God as its subject only insofar as God has actually revealed himself in creation. Uh, I mean, we have no access to God in and of himself. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's there's always in Scripture uh, accommodation and theophany and mm-hmm. uh, eventually incarnation, incarnation. Yeah. that that occurs and so we in some in a real sense we know god through created medium yeah, of course. yeah. and so they're inextricably linked and i think what we need to keep in mind is that the creator creature distinction applies to ontology it may not apply and i don't think does apply to a hermetically sealed off discipline just because it doesn't deal with theology proper those no, things no, not theology proper no, well, okay, fine. Theology we as to, we bi- also whatever. need to be careful how we're saying theology proper here because yeah, as theology is a discipline. This is this is why it's yeah. Okay, well, theology proper is a subdiscipline of theology. All right, what do you want to call? Well, the, often theology proper is is <laughs> study of, is doctrine God. of God. Yeah, okay, but not theology proper. If you read, uh, uh, you know, <clears throat> classically in the in in the Reformed tradition, and it's always it's pretty pretty across the board. If you say what is the subject of theology, they'll answer God. God. That that's just and. And they'll and they say if you say well also doesn't and they'll ask this question well does not uh, theology also study creation and they'll say yes only as it relates to God and that's I mean that's you find that question in in Turretin and uh, I wish I brought it but yeah that doesn't mean that they're separate disciplines though no I, the dip, that's it's theology philosophy gets at create or any other science gets at cre- gets at creation history does this can, um, and 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 chemistry does this can, can i bring out a point that was mentioned uh, earlier on in our discussion i think camden you brought this up and bob you would probably have some disagreement with this but i, I wasn't trained in medieval philosophy my teachers were contemporary analytic philosophers yeah, and so one of the things that as i was a student uh, reading Van Til and, and reading theology alongside of reading philosophy, and now uh, those questions have further uh, been complicated as I've studied um, here at Westminster. And separating something, some of these things out is that the current state of philosophy is so specialized. You have, um, even within a philosophy department, you have a guy who specializes in philosophy of math. 
in philosophy of science, mm-hmm. in political philosophy. Yeah, I mean, it's it's more than uh, philosophy is, is is more than just the three main divisions now of ethics, metaphysics, and epistemology. Uh, and there's intersection between all of those those disciplines. I mean, uh, philosophy of science um, intersects heavily with metaphysics and yeah, epistemology and um, ethics. And you, I, in, I ask myself the evaluative questions and whether that's a good thing, and I say no, that's not a good thing. That's not a good thing because what you'll have is you'll have broken up various methods that don't unify the body of knowledge at well, all. Without, or principle the body of knowledge. With, without moving into the question of, of the relationship of, between theology and philosophy yet and sticking within uh, just the contemporary philosophical scene, like when I think about some of the questions that I encountered in a philosophy of science course, some of those questions were very much dependent on the studies that were being done by actual scientists. So when someone asks about, mm-hmm. about the, uh, the philosophical question of what is the ontological status of an electron, or gravity, uh, things that we can't observe. Uh, or antimatter. The- theoretical entities, or, or things like that. There are these philosophical questions that have been raised by uh, what traditionally has been seen as a lower discipline, and in some ways mm-hmm. is It's almost tra- on- transcendental in a, in a sense. You've got these lower disciplines in some sense needing to transcend or, or come up with the necessary preconditions for things they may be observing. Yeah, so, so I mean, a scientist, yeah, that's... It, they assume a, a massive amount of uh, philosophical questions when they, when they engage in the empirical method. And that, and uh, that occurs, and that, that occurs in, a, in a distinct, but in a similar way, like, for instance, um, our, the way we do theology. That our, our knowledge or, or you know, what, we, what, we, what we know from science or history can help theology in, in different ways, but it's non-determinative. Once the findings of lower sciences, or let's say in this case chemistry, determines what we believe philosophically, I think that's when, uh, that's, that's what, that's when a breach has happened in the authority. Okay, but the line between determinative and um, informative and corrective perhaps is... is a hard one to draw. It's hard. It's uh, difficult. It's been difficult in theology as well. Yeah. <laughs> can I can I just read a quote from Van Til? I want to see if like you agree with it or if you clarify. And maybe just everybody. Uh, this is from uh, his book Christian Apologetics. Um, it starts off: the Bible is thought of as authoritative on everything of which it speaks. Moreover, it speaks of everything. <laughs> we do not mean that it speaks of football games, of atoms, etc. If you want to call it lower sciences directly. But we do mean that it speaks of everything either directly or by implication. It tells us not only of the Christ and his work, but it also tells us who God is and where the universe about us has come from. It tells us about theism as well as about Christianity. It gives us a philosophy of history as well as history. Moreover, the information on these subjects is woven into an inextricable whole. It is only if you reject the Bible as the word of God that you can separate the so-called religious and moral instruction of the Bible from what it says, for example, about the physical universe. This view of scripture, therefore, involves the idea that there is nothing in this universe on which human beings can have full and true information unless they take the Bible into account. Yeah, of course. Now let me say something theological. Everything that's not God is creation. Ontologically. Yeah. 
Great. I just said that, and that applies to everything, and I got that from being a Christian and studying theology. Yes, theology deals with everything, but it doesn't deal, but it doesn't deal with everything in every facet. For instance, Camden is a organic <laughs> is an organic being made up of carbon. Uh, carbon and hydrogen. Lots of muscle. Now, is that <laughs> is that a, is that a true statement? Yes. Is that true statement dependent on a statement like everything that's not God is creation and in, in, in principle? Yes, but it's it's a it's a it's a different statement. It's a different way of getting at Camden. I'm not getting at Camden now strictly as creation. I'm getting at Camden at, in his chemical makeup. That's just a way. That's you're at a different level. What's now. It, how, why is there a dichotomy between those two? Those two things are involved. Yes, Camden but, as creation and Camden oh, as oh, because it's Camden. They are involved. It's the same subject. Okay, but it's different forms of knowledge. Okay, saying something is different <laughs> is different than saying something that are not related or I'm have to se- be separated. When, when have I said they're, they're not related? I'm saying that they are distinct. Distinct doesn't mean, for instance, you and I are related, but we are distinct invis- individuals. I know how distinction works. Okay, I'm, I'm well, just saying, I, let's saying. clarify what is, what is distinct, what is separate, what can't be um, inextricably related, such as theology right. and philosophy. The way, the way, I, the way I'm talking about it is that philosophy is distinct from theology, but it is principled, governed, founded upon theology. That's the relationship right there. It's nonetheless is a distinct body of knowledge, but it is dependent on. Now, the, now let's go the other way. What's the relationship with theology and philosophy? Theology is completely autonomous. It is an independent science from philosophy. It can use philosophy as much as it wants or as little as it wants. It can do that. It can it can it can dispense with philosophy when it wants, and and philosophy can help it, but it, or it can't help it. So there's the relationship. There's the distinction, but there's the relationship. One founds the other. The other does not found the. Uh, or sorry, I put it very more specifically. Theology founds and governs philosophy. Philosophy does not found or govern theology. But they are distinct. Not there are distinct forms of knowledge. Meaning there's a body of knowledge here. And there's a body of knowledge there. And the philosophical knowledge is derived or, let's say, principled by theological knowledge. And theological knowledge is not derived or principled from, the, from, from philosophical knowledge. That's the relationship. But nonetheless, when I get at Camden, I look at Camden again, I say, Camden, made in the image of God. I got that from Genesis. Now I look at Camden. Camden is, now let's just say, uh, let's just say for, for what basis of arguments that Thomism is good philosophy. Camden... <laughs> Uh, it has a real distinction of being in essence as a finite being. That's a, that's a different way at getting at Camden. Now let's go as a chemist. Camden is a compound of carbon and hydrogen. Now I'm a chemist. Nonetheless, we're all talking about Camden, but they're, diff- they're various forms of knowledge, each one depending upon the higher one. So I think that this lower science depends on philosophy. Philosophy depends on theology. <laughs> I just don't see it as, cl- as that clean cut. So for example, like Kant, when he says... Uh, there is a world of uh, phenomena out there. Is that philosophical or is that theological? A it's got to be one or the other, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Which one is it? I would say philosophical. He's not getting that by a theological methodology, is he? That's, there we go. So that determines whether something is theological or philosophical. If you get it by theological methodology? Yeah. Well, where do you get it from? How do, we, how do you get theology? Where does it come from? Revelation in Scripture. But, but also general revelation, though. 
Yes, general revelation, the, but not in principle. Scripture. Well, I, I, I beg to differ. I think general revelation uh, is is just as principial to our knowledge of God as special revelation is, because um, we wouldn't like particularly. Like, I'm thinking of what Van Til has to say in his his essay on the infallible word. Yeah, no, I, um, a- Adam and Eve, when they hear the command from God, you will not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that command is dependent on the theater of general revelation uh, in, in, a, in a real way, epistemologically dependent. And there's, there's sort of, a, there's, there's almost a codependence uh, that exists uh, between general and special revelation when you look at it from the angles that Van Til looks at it in that essay. Uh, and that that's part of what I think is is related to some of these complicated uh, questions of the rela- neatly separating the two. They are both authoritative, mm-hmm. Dan, but one is a has a special authority over the other. So there, like like Van Til says, um, general revelation is uh, necessity, authoritative, uh, authoritative, uh, sufficient, pers- per- perspicuous. Well, uh, but in terms of <clears throat> their relationship, yes, yeah, special revelation does something in general and revelation, why, and that's doesn't. why. Uh, if if you read that second chapter of volume two of Muller, um, scripture is the principium cognoscendi, and is the principle of knowledge, and that's pretty basic. I and I think that's we all agree with that. We're, no one's arguing that. Okay, yeah. so then then yes, how do you get theological knowledge? Where does it come from? It comes directly from special revelation. Well, but then the special revelation is then again we. Not, <laughs> I'm the biblical studies guy, so I'm always bringing it back to the to the Bible. Back to, Can we back talk to about the Bible? The Bible. Talk about the Bible. <laughs> I think that's really helpful. That's I like that angle. Ministry. But I mean, um, <laughs> um, but in Scripture, I mean, we have to. Not only do we do the histor- do historical work to understand what Scripture meant at it at its yep. you know, in its context, we also have to understand, you know, the difference between reading, you know, Job as Scripture versus reading. The four resurrection genre. accounts as as scripture. I mean, those those are not things that if, if we read. Do, do you see what I'm saying? I mean, how, how do we get no, away? And from not only the fact that, we bringing, in order to interpret scripture, we have to know something about the cultural context in which scripture was given. Right, but Dan, so how, how do we get away from those things, things ministerial serving and not magisterial? That's the point. Is that, for instance, your knowledge of history or your knowledge of genre of ancient Near Eastern textual genre is ministerial. But not magisterial. It's it's pretty magisterial when I'm doing interpretation as to yeah. what revelation means. Yeah. Or let's say uh, let's say, uh, uh, let's yeah, take, using like, this in more technical. Yeah, so Camden, like, do you, yeah, Camden, yeah. Do you know what I'm like, talking about? Just, just, can uh, I give another example? Talking, if, if we read a passage that says Jesus <laughs> went to Capernaum, his neck out here. <laughs> all right, is that going to be theological or is that going to be part of the lower sciences? It's just a description. It's just history, no, really. That's, that's that's biblical teaching. If I say that Jesus, that's not what I asked. Is is it so? Is it theological? Yeah. Is it historical? Then not. Well, that's theological. Is it historical? Well, yes, it's his, but that's not derived by historical methodology. It's not. No, because it's that has authority. If I say that Jesus didn't go to Capernaum, mm-hmm. I would be denying Scripture. Now let's let's look at a different one. Um, Paul died on Paul, or Peter died on a cross. Is that theological because it deals with an apostle? No, that is a church tradition. That's a church, it's just church tradition that Jesus died on a cross. Now, is that has authority over me? 
No, I can deny. No, I don't think Peter died on a cross. These are just such weird conditions of something being theological or not. No, like, they're, they're very formal. They're so I, they, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, they're so formal, formal, and so, then the lines are so uh, I think arbitrarily drawn because there's when you say something like that. I think it's clear to everyone that there is a lot going on there in the mix that doesn't need to be hermetically sealed off from each other, that you can't deny that there's a historical element to Jesus going from Capernaum. And at the same time, there is we a, also clearly, those two things aren't in conflict right, with what each if, other. But moreover, what, 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 what can, I, can I just add one thing? That, yeah, sure. And moreover, the, the way we even, the way those, those things, under the way the scripture informs our theology or is the basis for our theology is in a sense, is based on those those sorts of distinctions. For example, the distinction between the parables of Jesus and the resurrection accounts. If the par- the parables of Jesus, uh, we have to see as you know as uh, things that hide truth, that reveal truth in a certain way. That's not. We don't assume that uh, the the widow who or the like Lazarus and the rich man that that's an actual uh, a, a, a description of something that happened. But that's in, because you believe it's history, a biblical teaching that it in history. But but the fact that the resurrection actually occurred. <laughs> I think if that's not true, if that's not, if we don't understand that as being right, but that's, a true, that's the difference, though. a true implication I, I, I th- of the text. Ben, can I interject? I, th- I think you're you're getting along the same uh, at the same thing that I, I had a thought on as well. That going back to what you said about going to Capernaum and, and saying that that actually happened, you're making a, a literary genre judgment about that particular. And, and that's I'm the same thing with your question. I'm assuming um, that when you guys said. When you guys uh, reference Jesus went to Capernaum, you're viewing that as a text that is asserting his. Yeah, and that's because I view that as a text that right. fits within so, historical narrative. Like, but those, those, I mean, especially because I, I have a background of dealing with dispensationalism, so there's these 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 questions swirl around how happens, to interpret certain spe- what happens? sections of scripture. Or here's a good example. I remember sitting in class with Dr. Truman. And uh, it was during ancient church, and Dr. Truman was talking about all the martyr accounts that would happen in the you know first three centu- centuries uh, A.D. You know uh, of the church, and how these martyr accounts would have, you know, the martyrs are about to get their head chopped off or be tortured, and right before they're tortured, they give these swirling theological expositions in front of their their executioners, and you know they're just there's just these like high a dove the- flies out of somebody's womb. Yeah, well, or no, just like what, what there's like these high just theological <clears throat> explanations, and they're given all this time to talk. And Dr. Truman was saying, well, no, I don't really think they really had they were able to really all say all this, and you know this is probably just the Christians putting putting words in their mouth to make them seem more ho- heroic, more Christian, and uh, and that's just you know on his historical judgment, he would look at those texts and say, no, I don't really think that this is actually history or what actually happened. Someone raised their hand. What about Acts 7, when Peter gives a long exposition of the history of, temp- of the temple in Israel before he was stoned? Uh, Stephen. 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 So what did yeah. I say? Peter. 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 I meant Stephen. Uh, what about that? Do you and- think they're the same person? <laughs> <laughs> what is your philosophy? There's no distinction. <laughs> this Stephen. is getting uh, thicker. <laughs> Stephen and anyway, so the then person. Dr. Truman said, he, he responded to that, well, no, because that's scripture, I have on conviction to believe that that's actually happened. What just happened is he made a, a switch between two different sciences. As a historian, as a historian, he would be inclined to see such stories yeah. as not really historical. But because he's a Christian, 
He would say he would have to say I have to believe that's historical. He's well, doing they, history on both accounts. Yeah, it's, it's what yes, the authority he's doing, is. He's not saying it's that not one isn't science. historical, but he's getting it from di- uh, from a different way, from a it's, different way of evaluating the text. He, he, because that's he, not the condition for whether someone is doing history or not, where they get it from, because he's making a historical judgment. They're both the same accounts. It's just the authority from which it derives scripture, method. or if it's not scripture. He, he has yeah, he has changed his method. disciplines. He's changed. That's my that point. with which he's dealing yeah, with he's in changed, the same discipline. He's changed in within the same, the same di- discipline. No, not the same discipline. One's <laughs> theological. <laughs> no, one's theological. He didn't have a hat. That he, no, but see, that's the point. Those, like, like, we're reducing you to absurdity. Right, 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 one at a time. Here. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, uh, what I'm getting at, though, is... Um, what? I'm already... Bob gets upset when I don't do anything. Because I know Camden agrees with me. I don't... I don't think so. He... I mean... Dr. Truman's, uh does historical theology. Right. The, the, uh, <laughs> the point here is that he's affirming Stephen on the basis of it being uh, Stephen's, the stoning of Stephen mm-hmm. in the speech he gave on the basis of it being scripture, not on yeah. the basis of his historical intuitions. That's my point, or his historical methodology. We do this all the time. What if there isn't enough evidence, historical evidence, for us to affirm the Exodus. Who cares? We're Christians and we believe in the Exodus on the basis of Scripture. We've just said, sorry, history, we're Christians. That's what we just did. We that just, doesn't mean which, we check our historiography at the door. No, and but, it's just, but it this just, is Scripture. I just, it's Scripture, it, it's Scripture. I just repeat Scripture. Right. But my point is, is that they don't change disciplines. We, we did change yeah. disciplines. Uh, no. well, I, think, some, I don't think we changed disciplines. Yeah, we just simply changed, changed what the though. discipline is dealing with. No, because what happens is it gets handed on down by on high. So, does a historian have to affirm? Does a Christian historian have to affirm the Exodus? Yes, but he just didn't derive this well, from. So do all. So do all historians. Right, I know, but I'm yeah. I'm saying uh, by 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 authority, <laughs> they should. That's what I'm saying. No, but uh, if there's if yeah. there's no evidence, if there's no historical evidence for the Exodus, the Christian historian still has to affirm the effort. Uh, the exes on the basis of the evidence i just said there wasn't any they would firm it on the basis of scripture so they just checked their historical methodology and said well normally i can't historically affirm this because i i affirm things on the basis of evidence Mm. but i will affirm it why because i'm a christian and it was handed down for me from the higher form of knowledge that raises the question of what actually functions as evidence and can we actually include scripture in that category but no i'm not saying it's not it's Um, not well we wouldn't want to put it that. We wouldn't want to put it like. Well, that. We, well, I mean, when I when I read scripture, I see that as definitive evidence that there was yes, a because, parting of a Red Sea, and because and it's it, the it functions highest. epistemologically in a very similar yes, way. Yes, of course, it just doesn't function. For instance, here's here's a good one in an in, inspiration incarnation. Uh, Doctor Enns says at one point, I'm oh. paraphrasing. He says at one point, well, we can affirm the Israelite monarchy because there are more texts that historically corroborate. What was happening during that time in Israel? What we what we cannot affirm is the history prior to the Exodus, and we 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 cannot affirm its historicity because of the lack of evidence. That is what I'm fighting against: is that he has to affirm what had happened prior to the Exodus, perhaps not on the basis of evidence, but on the basis of biblical authority, or, or, or on the basis of, of evidence that is external to the text of canonical scripture well because i put scripture on a higher level than what than just 
the, the evidence yeah. that we find around. That's fine at a higher level, but like separating them so sharply, I think, is where we have the problem. So, for example, if I asked you, it is a historical fact that Christ rose, right? The resurrection yes. happened in history, and when Scripture speaks of it, it is making a historical judgment and telling you historical truth, isn't it? Right? Of course. So is it is it historical when it's telling you that? Is it only theology? That's it. And we can say nothing about it, and it's historicity, or can we say something about its historicity? Its source is theological, but it is affirmed by the historian and and can be and can be assumed used no, not in to, his historian. I, I don't care history. who's affirming it or who's not. I'm saying as a fact, it is historically true that the resurrection occurred because scripture yes, said it did, right? Scripture says it historically. It's historically true. Okay, so so there is history involved when talking about the resurrection. History, but not the historical methodology. I don't know. I don't. Maybe you can explain that. But okay, what I want what to I'm affirm well, is instance, what I'm trying. Let me finish. What I'm trying to establish here is we need to be super careful when we say that there's no history involved with things like the resurrection, or the, or not even going that far. Just saying that it's only theological and not historical. That really, really, really needs to be I'm clarified. I'm saying by historical methodologies, it's different. Okay. And can I jump? Jump in there too. I think yeah, and we're gonna have to start wrapping things up at some point. <laughs> Daniel say, has a class to get to, so I'll let Ben finish, and I'll go around the horn. If anyone has any final remarks, I'll be like <laughs> Bill Riley. I'll give you the last word. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I think um, we also have to understand that the historical, the the relationship between what the text, the what the text portrays, and the historical, our historical understanding is um, that's actually essential to what the text is trying to convey for and a perfect mm-hmm. example of this is the the um the synoptic issues between Samuel Kings and Chronicles we don't really understand we, we can't if we just had you know and we we take the view that scripture is sufficient and it's necessary if we just had um Chronicles we wouldn't be able to do the comparisons between Chronicles and Samuel and Kings and and try to understand the full the import, the theological import of what the chronicler is trying yeah, to do, and so we have to we we use not only not only the his, the history as a basis for or the the fact that we we affirm not only that scripture in certain cases is making historical statements that then ground our faith for like for example the resurrection we also do history as a way of and we do history by comparing for example Samuel Kings and Chronicles in order to understand, in order to illumine the theological uh, truths that are present in both those books. Not in the same way. Because, for instance, let's say I had... Oh, I'm sorry, I'm not sure if I'm supposed to... You can answer, then we'll we'll finish. Because let's say, say as a historian, (laughs) I had two different texts about the same history, right? Let's say I had two different primary texts, uh, accounts, let's say annals or chronicles of the same kingdom, Mm -hmm. and they contradicted each other. Mm -hmm. At that point, I'm going to choose. I'm going to denounce one as false and affirm one as true. That's normally what historians do. Well, we can't do that with scripture. Can't do that with scripture. Why? It's different. Because <laughs> they don't contradict. All That's right. why. Uh, Jared, uh, any final but remarks? Or let's say issues? even if they appear to. Uh-huh. Your, the, even your statement that they don't contradict, your tr- that, is a, that is a theological view on the basis of your doctrine of scripture. Mm-hmm. That's what makes it a different... A, a, a different discipline we're dealing with now. Understood. Yeah. All right, Jared, you can make uh, any brief remarks and we'll go <clears throat> final remarks. around clockwise and Bob will be final. <laughs> no, I mean, I, just to sum up, I don't think that you can, I think the discussion has kind of illustrated how you can't just um, separate each of the disciplines so radically um, that there are 
elements of a lot of different disciplines um, mixed mm-hmm. into all these kinds of discussions. So I'll yeah. leave it at that. Yeah, and to, I agree with that, and I'll, I'll expand and, and say, using the example of biblical studies, is that if Scripture is our principium, uh, but in order to actually access what Scripture says and what it means, uh, we, the biblical scholar, draws on uh, a vast number of other dis- different disciplines to actually do his discipline. And that's the same with any, any discipline. Uh, a biologist draws on his knowledge of chemistry and physics and mathematics as much as uh, uh, he steps outside of his discipline in order to do things within his discipline. Uh, and that, that's, you know, that, that involves some of the que- questions about the complex nature of, uh, how, uh, well, how disciplines are becoming further and further complicated in terms of actually being able to specialize in one particular thing and have it disconnected from the entire body of knowledge. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I, just, I just don't, I'm 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 a little bit uncomfortable with creating a very rigid hierarchy of sciences initially because of that. Not that I wouldn't be persuaded otherwise, but I, I have concerns. Mm. Bench, I'm gonna. You don't have to say anything if you don't. Something <laughs> uh, maybe a little little gauche on this program, but I, I would quote quote to quote N.T. Wright just to say <gasps> that I know gasp, but uh, <laughs> but uh, Christianity is an historical religion and it appeals to history and to history it. It must go. All there. Well, I will end with a uh, with a quote from Herman Bavinck. Who? Bavinck. Bavinck. <laughs> he says in volume one on page three seventy one. Bavinck. Science accordingly has nothing to fear from the supernatural, but every science must remain within its own bounds and its own area, and not aggregate itself to the right to pose a law on another science. It is the right and duty of natural science to search within its area for natural causes of phenomena, but it should not attempt to rule over philosophy when the latter investigates the origin and destiny of things. It should also recognize the right and independence of religion and theology and not attempt to undermine the foundation on which they rest. And that's somewhat See, I what I'm... I don't know if I'm, anyone disagrees with that. Though. What's that? Yeah. Right. Well, that's part of the issue, but we'll continue. <laughs> continue. Yeah, that, that is part of the issue, is that of course, I am not saying that none of these sciences have anything to do with each other. Yeah. What I'm trying to do is formalize the way they have something to do with each other and the way in which one has authority over another, the one, one doesn't have authority over the next. Mm-hmm. And uh, trying to get at that issue, I think, will be very helpful for discussions of faith and reason, scripture and history, and uh, yeah. maybe creation and science and things like that. Is how, how do these various forms of knowledge actually interact with each other? And it's not that I'm trying to just splice and make these things so flagrantly distinct. I'm just yeah. trying to show how they actually are distinct yet relate. Yeah. And, well, uh, no, that's, that's an interesting point. And then, um, this has been a very stimulating discussion. Uh, unfortunately, we do have to call it close after about an hour 15. <laughs> <laughs> Some of the front of that recording will be chopped because it wasn't actually the uh, recording proper. But... Uh, has been interesting, and we'll have to come back to this issue. Uh, of course, uh, we didn't solve anything, but uh, we'll come back to it at some point. But it has been, I hope, very enlightening to the listeners and uh, very interesting as well. Uh, a couple places to point people. You can visit Westminster Online at wts.edu as well as facebook.com slash Westminster Online and youtube.com slash Westminster Online. PBU, uh, is it pbu.edu? pbu.edu. Philadelphia Biblical University. Um, and, of course, uh, you can find information about and uh, other programs 
with all of our panels, but especially panelists, but especially with Bob and uh, Daniel Schrock at reformforum.org, where all of our materials are available free of charge. And uh, you can watch us online as this was broadcasted live, as well as um, all of our programs we're attempting to do live in audio and video at reformedforum.tv. And uh, let me remind you, of course, that we are listener-supported. And so if you uh, found benefit in this program and you're able to help us out, (laughs) help us to improve the quality of our audio and video, if you're watching the video feed, you'll know that we need some help, then uh, please uh, visit us online at reformedforum.org. Click the Donate Now button at the top of the page. My name is Camden Busey, and let me thank you for watching, and we hope you join us again next time on Philosophy for Theologians.